A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. How can stress impact our sleep during pandemic? Do we sleep better or worse? Can sleep hygiene really help us sleep better? You think you are awake at night. Are you really awake? Today we have Haley from Australia. She is a sleep clinician and sleep researcher. Let's explore all these interesting questions with her. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm your host Ishan. Let's welcome Haley. Hi, Haley. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, Ishan. Thank you so much for having me today. Lovely to be here. I'm so happy we get to connect、um, across time zone. I know I'm in America. You are in Australia, right? Yeah. Yes, Melbourne, Australia. So, so、um, you know, very different time zones at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Great. So, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Yes,、yeah, sure. So、uh, my name's Haley Meekham. I'm a psychologist here in Australia, and I,、uh, I guess, have a special interest in in sleep and insomnia. So I currently work at St Vincent's Hospital,、um, which is a, a public hospital here in Melbourne,、um, where I work with people experiencing sleep disturbances.、Um, you know, to to look at psychology based approaches. Sleep better,、um, but in my other time, I'm doing a, a PhD、um, at Monash University, which is a big sleep centre or big university with a big focus on sleep here,、um, and looking at training of healthcare workers, in particular psychologists, in sleep insomnia management. Wow, that's so cool. Regarding your research project, I do have a question. A lot of people ask me how they can find the right help. Right? How they can find a healthcare provider who understands sleep, who knows how to treat it, or at least where to refer them. In your research, have you noticed anything that、uh, in the healthcare field, what that look like about the sleep knowledge? Yeah, no, no, great question, and I, I think it's、um, you know a, a challenge in our current healthcare space. You know, one of the things we know is that、um, throughout kind of、um, you know graduate training or, or you know even sort of basic medical training, there's not a lot of sleep education delivered you know to, to general healthcare workers. So a lot of the research does show sort of、uh, you know especially in America, there's only about Two or so hours of sleep education delivered to to doctors, to, to physicians, so it, it it doesn't often give them a really good solid base,、um, you know, to to have these conversations、um, with their patients. So it's often people kind of with a, a special interest or、um, you know wanting to take extra training where they go and find more of that information.、Um, similarly, for psychologists here,、um, our research has shown that. Graduate students only receive about one hour. A median of one hour、um, is what they report. With about half sort of saying, "Look, I don't really get much at all into you know my graduate training years." Although we know that sleep problems commonly occur、um, with conditions that that people might be presenting、um, to psychologists with、um, depression or anxiety. Yet there's sort of just not a lot of training. So I, I guess a first step. Is always if you're seeking、um, to to work with a healthcare practitioner, asking some of those questions. 
But a way, you know, that there are um, some organisations looking at how they credential people with, with sleep qualifications. And so the Society for Behavioural Sleep Medicine um, is a US-based organisation, which, um, you know, has a sort of a, a board certification now in, in behavioural sleep medicine. So there, there are a range of healthcare professionals that, that will have um, that sort of accreditation or to become a diplomat in behavioural sleep medicine. And the Society for Behavioural Sleep Medicine does have a great website which has sleep practitioners all around the world where you can look up in your local area and find someone that's qualified. And there's a similar process for physicians as well um, where they might be um, certified by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine or other things. So there, there are some ways to, to know, but even just having those conversations with your healthcare practitioner and um, if, they're, if they're, they're not too sure, asking for referrals. You know, there are a lot of sleep centres around around the world, um, you know, where, where people can sort of Oh, great. So sounds like when people really look for this kind of sleep-related uh, treatment, they should look for the credential background, look for the sleep center and how well-trained the, the physician or the provider is. And that possibly can give them more information to ask those questions. That's good to know. Hmm. So I'm wondering, so when you talk about how poorly we're all trained, I just uh, remind me of my own journey. When I got my license as a psychologist in America, after all these years of training, I got like thousands of hours, clinical hours. I had almost zero training in sleep. So when I uh, worked in hospitals, I remember, I feel like I can treat a lot of dif different disorders. But when people come in with sleep issues, I only know sleep hygiene. And actually a lot of general population, I think, um, knows, somewhat knows about sleep hygiene, right? But I want to ask you in your own experience, both research-wise and clinical-wise, what is the difference between sleep hygiene versus, you know, um, well-trained sleep physician or sleep provider, what they can offer in their sleep treatment? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think um, you know what what you've described as your experience is probably the most common one. You know, sleep hygiene is is thought of, um, I guess, more broadly as a sort of a good place to start when when people are sleeping poorly. And the first thing that you type into Google when you're like, oh, "I'm not sleeping well. How do I sleep better?" You'll get some general sleep hygiene advice. Um, and my research has shown as well that that is what graduate students sort of that's the first thing that they go to. The main thing that they know is we'll, we'll do sleep hygiene. But I like to think of sleep hygiene as a bit more of a building block. You know, it's sort of similar to some general diet and guidelines, you know, don't eat too much sugar, um, you, know, or, you know, maintain a balanced diet. It's some good general advice, but but if people have a condition like diabetes or, or something else, it, it's sort of not clinical treatment. So sleep hygiene in itself is, you know, some, some good recommendations around, you know, maintaining some regularity with your sleep, you know, regular going to bed, getting up at the same time, um, you know, not having too much caffeine, you know, before bed or sort of in that lead up to, towards sleep, having a good sleep environment. So, you know, your room's not too hot or too cold. It's a, what we can do to sort of set up some, some good conditions for sleep. But if people have a sleep disorder, you know, where we're sort of verging more on insomnia, which is where people have had sort of, you know, difficulties either falling asleep, staying asleep, waking too early, it's been going on for three months or more. It happens, you know, kind of three nights or more of the week and has some significant impacts on their daytime functioning. You know, they're, they're struggling at work, um, you know, or even in their social relationships, you know, you know, not wanting to engage as much with other people. 
causing a bit of distress around sleep. Then sleep hygiene, um, we need to, to check it, but sleep treatment goes a little bit further. Now, what we're looking at is, um, you know, how sometimes when we're not sleeping well, how our, our stress around sleep, you know, how, our, how our thoughts, you know, how much we sort of worry about sleep. Oh, gosh, I've got something important on tomorrow. What if I don't sleep well? How am I going to cope? You know, often people that, that have sleep problems like insomnia might have really good sleep hygiene, but there's still a lot of, I guess, worry, distress around sleep. And also sometimes, um, you know, behaviours, keeping a, a regular sleep pattern. Whilst for the general population, that's good advice. Um, sometimes people might get into bed too early when they're not actually sleeping. Um, so, you know, for some people, it might be staying up a little bit later you know, keeping a regular get-up time but staying up a little bit later. So it's sort of like we're, we're looking at it from, you know, I, I guess a holistic perspective, behaviour around sleep, the thinking around sleep, but also what's going on during the day that might contribute higher stress levels or, uh, you know, arousal around sleep. Just to sort of cycle back sleep hygiene, it's some really good general advice, but we sort of view it more and it's a great place to start. So if people are having sleep problems, checking in on that, those tips are great you've done these things and still having problems, that's where we'd sort of say, okay, we, we probably need to look at this in a little bit of a different light and working with, with a, a professional that, that does have sleep skills can really help to kind of nut that factors that kind of keeping the sleep. Yeah, so it sounds like sleep hygiene, possibly the, the surface level yeah. uh, help. For some people, possibly that's enough. So for some people, it's not. Uh, a professional can really help you dive deeper and yeah. solve the deeper problem. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great way to look at it. Then a lot of people start thinking, you know, when do they know whether they are capable of helping themselves or it's a time for them to look for a professional? We see a lot of people clinically, they all think they sleep in a certain way, right? There's a lot of self-misperceptions possibly towards sleep. One of the most common questions I got from people is, how can I tell whether I'm awake or I'm asleep? Mm. I think I did not sleep the whole night. And then now I'm panic, right? Doctor or someone, you have to help me. Uh, is that true? How people can really tell they're sleeping or not? Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. It's like our, our perception of sleep and, and sometimes even, you know, if someone comes into the sleep lab and we do a sleep study, what they report about their sleep and what we actually measure when we have sort of EEGs so that we're looking at brain waves and, and other physiological measures can differ quite a bit. You know, our perception and objective measures don't often measure up, kind of match up. I, I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, if we're sort of really busy and, high, you know, what we call hyper arousal, where, you know, where we're a little bit worried about sleep, we're out, you know, our mind is very busy and we're sort of, you know, a little bit hyper vigilant around sleep. We sort of fall asleep, but we wake up quite close to when we fall asleep and then maybe fall back asleep. Our brain kind of puts together all those bits of wake. So it'll say, okay, I was awake here and I was awake here. Therefore, I must have been awake that whole time. Whereas if we actually do a sleep study on what we might see is that they were awake here and then they went into some lighter sleep and then woke up again. So then they might be getting a little bit more sleep than sometimes what it feels like. And to sort of feel like we're getting a nice sort of solid sleep, it's more, I guess, having sort of a continuous kind of bout of sleep, especially at the, the start of the night. I guess when people to sort of seek help, 
you know, if they're feeling like they're not sleeping at all or, you know, feeling like that their sleep is kind of not really refreshing, they're feeling awake a lot of the time and not restorative and that's been going on for a little while and they've put some, you know, kind of done some sleep hygiene and some other things to, to try and help and it's not getting better, that's often a good time to sort of seek six help um i'm sure you probably see the same thing but in my clinic i'll have people that have battled with sleep for many many years and sleeps it's, it's a bit of a tricky beast you know it might not happen every night um you know sometimes as people will have some trouble with sleep but then it settles a little bit but the moment some stress comes along it gets worse you know so it can be a bit up and down and, and often that process of oh look i'm doing a bit better i can you know i don't need to seek help you know it's you know what Expensive, or they've got busy, got other things, and sort of hoping that it go, kind of goes away and, and settles. But in general, if it's been going on for a little while, you know, three months or more, and it's it's having some impact, kind of seeking some help, or, or you know, looking at what is the next level from from sleep hygiene, sleeping better, um, you know, can can be a good thing. You know, that, that working out whether you're awake or asleep, um, it can be a bit challenging, um, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so interesting. So our audience possibly should really get from this and remember how we think we are sleeping, mm-hmm. not mean how we actually are sleeping. It's possibly difficult for us to tell just uh, by how we feel and possibly not very accurate, right? Using a watch or something to to measure it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, there's a lot of, you know, research going on in, in the space around, you know, how we measure sleep and, and looking at those kind of devices that will give us a bit of a snapshot of sleep, like Fitbit or Jawbone or sort of the, some of these other devices that move so quickly, it's hard to keep track of them. <laughs> um, you know, and what we find is that for someone who's a, a pretty okay sleeper, they're, they're pretty good at looking at total sleep time and giving us some sort of more general measures of sleep. But when someone does have a condition like insomnia, they're okay. They, they, they sort of don't necessarily pick up that perception of sleep. So if someone's lying there still not moving much at all in, in bed, but they feel like they're awake, the watch might tell them that, that they are a little bit more asleep than what it feels. Um, and similarly, if, if they have a lot of movement and restless and they're moving around a lot, but, but you know their, their brain might be asleep, it's going to tell, tell us that they're probably getting a little bit less sleep than, than what they, they might be. So I think these devices are really useful at, at you know, giving us a bit of a broad picture and a, 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 you know, an, an estimate of, of total sleep time. But if we're not sleeping too well, sometimes the numbers might be a little bit skewed in, in one way or the other. Using these devices to give us a, a bit of a picture. But if you know your, your experience doesn't always match up with what the device says it doesn't mean that that, that device is is always true and um similarly perception of, of sleep um you know sleep still might not feel great but it, it's a tricky area and um you know having these conversations you know are really important with your healthcare providers and you know just trying to tease out what might be going on that's impacting sleep because if you you know you feel like your device is saying you're asleep but you don't feel that you're well rested a bit of a signal that we want to have a bit of a deeper look at sleep um, and you know and, and what might be contributing to that how do we help you to feel like you're sleeping better and feeling better during the day yeah i think that's uh that's very important for us to be aware of and remember one thing you mentioned earlier is this hyper arousal piece the stress when you talk about that i was just thinking what an interesting negative loop like a lot of people say, I feel so stressed out because I I haven't been sleeping well recently. Who knows whether it's because they already feel stressful from something in life 
from work, and then they become hyper aroused at night, could not sleep well, and then got exhausted further and start worrying about sleep. So it's it's really hard to tell which one impact which, right? Definitely. It sort of becomes a bit of that vicious cycle where, you know, kind of one feeds into the other and it can be really frustrating for people, you know, got a stressful workload or, you know, got lots of things, juggling kids, work, all these things, and they're not sleeping well. But when we're not sleeping well, then, you know, it makes it harder to sort of, you know, tackle the daily stresses and and kind of bounce back. That sort of worry about sleep, you know, it's so hard when, when we're sort of really wanting it and craving good sleep that cycle really can kind of take hold. So it becomes, you know, it's really challenging for people. Just reducing stress during the day can lead to some improvements. But if we don't sort of address sometimes that hyperarousal, uh, stress around sleep in particular and, and worry or anxiety around sleep, you know, we kind of need to tackle a bit of both. Though. That brings up a question since we are still at the end of pandemic, hopefully the yeah. end of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you post some papers uh, on your social media and talking about how COVID has been impacting people's sleep. So I'm wondering, based on your research, your clinical observation, over the past one year and a half by now, how people's sleep look like? Are they really impacted by COVID a lot? Yeah, and, and it's, you know, when you say a year and a half of being in the pandemic, it's, it's been sort of a year, you know, year and a half like no other, I think uh, many of us have been through in our lifetime. When we sort of first got news of, of COVID-19 and the, and the pandemic sort of unfolding, my sort of direct PhD supervisor and a, and a team of us um, at Monash, we were sort of like, well, this could be huge for people's sleep. There's a big natural stressor coming on and it's not only a pandemic, but what that means for everyone. You know, here in Australia, you know, we, we've had a lot of lockdowns and whilst we haven't had a, a huge amount of cases of COVID-19, um, but we've had some quite drastic measures in terms of lockdowns. You know, here in Melbourne, gosh, we've had lockdown, five lockdowns, which, you know, we're not really allowed to leave the house for any other reason than to, you know, seek medical care, get, get essentials and, you know, changes in routines, working from home, um, you know, not, not having our social outlets and hobbies. And um, although, as I said, we don't have as, as many cases here, we've still had massive you know, changes to the way we live our lives. And around the world, you know, there, there's many different stresses and, you know, losing loved ones to it as well. So there's been many really tough things that have, have happened throughout the pandemic, but also changes in our sleep-wake patterns. We did some research around, um, you know, looking at the pandemic as sort of a, a precipitant, you know, something that's triggered sleep problems for, for people. The response to our survey and people kind of reporting, wow, you know, I'm having these difficulties with sleep, which I've never had before, um, have been really, really huge. What we see with, with insomnia is people might have some underlying, um, uh, I guess, predisposing factors that make, make them a little bit more um, likely to, to get a sleep problem. But often what happens is there's a big of a trigger, a stress, or what we call a precipitating event. And I think the pandemic, um, you know, may have acted like that for, for many people, where there's been, you know, stress or a change in routine, change in sleep-wake pattern. I think in general media, you may have heard, you know, a lot of reports, you know, in, in the general media about people reporting sleep problems or, you know, having more really crazy pandemic dreams and are really struggling with their sleep. And that's something that is coming out in 
trauma research, there seems to be in terms of sleep disturbances, while the prevalence, because it's a bit hard to sort of tease out, but estimates from more cross-sectional research is that more general sleep disturbances, the prevalence rate has increased probably around 25 to 30% in general pre-pandemic to around 40%. You know, so we are seeing some, you know, some increased numbers of people reporting poor sleep. But I think as the research kind of develops with kind of robust prevalence studies that are hopefully coming, um, you know, we'll, we'll get a bit more of a, an understanding of, you know, those acute sleep disturbances, but also who may kind of develop some more ongoing you know, so so I think insomnia is, is a big one, but also, um, you know, there's been a lot of other research looking at changes in sleep timing. Early studies came out showing people, um, you know, were sleeping a little bit later, getting up later, maybe spending a little bit more time in bed and getting a bit more sleep. Interestingly, sleep quality may not have been that much better. It might have been a little bit worse. Definitely reports of people's sleep being impacted in more of a negative way. Quite interestingly, we found that there's a small population of people who perhaps had sleep problems prior or, you know, living sort of, um, you know, where they have to get up early for work, you know, a lot of stress, a lot of busyness. And the pandemic also, you know, has created an opportunity for some people to become less busy, to, to be in a bit more control of their own schedule, you know, not have to travel an hour and a half to work um, so they get can stay in bed and have a little bit more sleep. So whilst I think overwhelmingly what we've been hearing is people having sleep problems, for some people it's kind of gone the other way, noticing a little bit more improvements. And that's something we're interested in, in following up a little bit more. You know, what, what are the factors that led to people who, who sleep has gotten worse versus those who have found it, um, you know, a bit of respite? It's been a challenging time, but, you know, it's a bit different for everyone as well. Wow, that's so interesting. Uh, understandable, I think, for some people, they sleep poorly and or worse. I did mm-hmm. clinically in our clinic, we didn't notice people get more anxious, a lot more need for um, inquiries for treatment, either for anxiety or sleep-related issues. The data you shared totally makes sense. But it's also interesting to know some people actually benefit from this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. it, it is really interesting. And so in, in clinic, um, you know, I've had some people coming through now who you know, they might report, look, I've never been a great sleeper, but it was okay. But when the pandemic sort of hit, you know, and, and I, you know, my job was impacted or I had to work from home, that's when this really kind of taken hold. And so they're probably pretty, um, you know, great to, to seek help so early in, in their, their sleep troubles. Um, but yeah, we're definitely seeing some of that coming through in my clinic where, yeah, yeah it just seems that the pandemic has sort of, you know, triggered some, some more sleep problems for some people. Um, and as you mentioned, sort of, we're also seeing some increased reports of stress, anxiety, depression during this time as well. And, you know, research is still unfolding in this space, but it seems early on there was sort of a bit of a spike, uh, you know, people reporting these symptoms. And it'll be really interesting to see as sort of the research comes out how this changes over time. seems like that maybe rates have settled down a little bit. But there's a lot of, I guess, reporting bias where it might be people who are doing better of continuing with long-term follow-up studies. Whereas people that are still struggling might not have the, the, you know, sit there and complete a half an hour online survey about their health. So, you know, as we go, we're sort of learning more. Um, I think for people being able to reach out for, for services and, and knowing where to go. And also there's a lot of online, you know, mental health services as well, which I think you've got a bit of an interest in. They create opportunities for people to, to reach out for help, whether it be sleep or mental health. And, you know, look to start, how do I, how do I start to, to better or feel better and a really great um, you know, these these more digital interventions have a really you know, bigger scope and help 
in this space. That's really cool. Definitely. Personally, like when you talk about that, I think, oh, I can totally relate. I think since pandemic, I definitely have more time to sleep and my sleep schedule, I think, shift to later, but I'm not sure how well my sleep quality actually improved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So I'm wondering our audience who are listening right now, what uh, everyone's situation look like, right? Maybe we can get some feedback. Anyone, if leave us a comment, I will let you know. So based on your research, after noticing some of this initial findings of how pandemic has impacted us, our sleep, any like clinical um, or any tips, advice you normally give to your clients in, in your center, like what can people think of, what can be helpful um, that people can try of to improve their sleep quality? There is a, a lot of sleep tips out there and, um, you know, it sort of, uh, I guess it will depend a lot on that, that person's individual situation. We've got a study under review at the moment where we looked at people that, that had more acute sleep problems, so sort of less than three months, looking at, you know, what are the factors associated? And we did see, you know, people kind of increasing their phone usage before bed, you know, um, was definitely significantly associated with having acute insomnia. Um, also, people who shifted their routines a lot was also impacted. So, again, sort of, a, I guess, coming back to some of those general sleep hygiene sort of guidelines, you know, if it's an acute problem, keeping sort of, you know, a sort of a fixed wake-up time, sort of trying to keep in line with sort of regular routines. And, you know, we know that looking at sort of a lot of pandemic-related info before bed can really sort of stress us out a little bit more, but also might keep us alert and, and you know, hyper-aroused so we're not sort of, um, you know, in, in a state ready for sleep. In previous times when you've been stressed, what's really helped to reduce those stress? Um, you know, so around, you know, is it exercise? Is it, you know, making time to connect with others? that self-care really comes in, you know, someone sort of acutely not not sleeping well. But as it sort of goes on a a little bit longer, sort of the the research that we're we're looking at now, you know, what are the factors that are really um, maintaining sleep problems for some people and don't have the the answers on the pandemic yet. But in general, I think that's it. If it's, you know, these sleep problems have been going on for, you know, three months or more, we want to be looking at things, um, you know, such as, you know, how much are you, do you feel like you're actually sleeping at this point in time? You know, what we do see for a lot of people that, that struggle with sleep is that, you know, that they're trying so hard for sleep, they really want it. They're putting in a lot of effort into sleep. Just say we're only sleeping for, for six or six and a half hours per night on average, but we're spending around 10 hours in bed. Um, you know, it leads a lot of time of being awake, being frustrated, you know, tossing, turning, kind of getting quite anxious about our sleep. And that can lead to a little bit more that that sort of around that hyper arousal. But also our, our brain starts to make some assumptions that, you know, bed is a place of being awake, being frustrated, uh, you know, playing on our phone, doing these things, as opposed to a place of rest sleep. For some people, it's just sort of having a bit of a look at, you know, are you spending a lot longer in bed than, than the time you are sleeping? You know, the time that you're getting into bed, you know, how sleepy do you feel? Is it sort of something you're more getting into bed because you want to achieve a certain amount of sleep? Always ask people, you know, what does sleepiness feel like to you? How do we know that we're sleepy versus just sort of being being tired? For me, I might get, um, you know, when I'm tired, I'm just a bit, oh, you know, I can't be bothered with doing much. I want to sit on the couch and veg out watching Netflix, <laughs> you know, for a long time. But I'm not necessarily ready for sleep. 
I'm sleepy, you know, I might be yawning a lot. My eyes might be kind of, you know, I'm trying to read or do something and I'm kind of getting the nods, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to sort of stay awake to sort of keep my attention on what I'm trying to do. So they're sort of qualitatively a little bit different, you know. So, so having a look at your sort of sleepiness cues as sort of the, the prompt to, to get into bed um, as opposed to sort of, you know, it might have been pre-pandemic, you got into bed at 10 o'clock and because you were getting up really early, you know, that worked well. But now as things have changed, schedules changed, it might, you know, if you're not sleepy at that time, it might be worth just staying up a little bit later and going for some quality over, over quantity of sleep. But I always say that these are sort of sometimes hard to do on our own and, and you know, if sort of unsure, you know, reaching out for, to a healthcare professional with that can give some guidance around sleep or looking at some online, you know, programs around sleep, which, um, you know, there are a lot, lot out there whether it be someone who's um, had some training in sleep and, and developed these programs and there's, you know, other evidence-based sort of online or digital um, you know, insomnia and, and sleep interventions that can be really a great, great one. Yeah. Wow. So great to know all resources are available. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Are you sleepy or are you tired? What kind of cues your body are sending you? And what kind of sleep routine are you following? Do you need to adapt it right now compared to one year or two years ago, right? Yeah, that, I think that's, that's a great point. It's sort of adapting, you know, circumstances, our own physiology, <laughs> not physiology may have changed, but what we might be needing from sleep may have changed a little bit. And to be a bit flexible and to ask those questions in sort of that kind of reflective manner can be really useful. Um, not always easy, but, but um, useful. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. I think all this are wonderful information for the audience to learn and to know. Near the end of the show, is there any final wisdom you want to share to the audience? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about final wisdom, but um, you know, I think if people are tuning in, they're interested in sleep and, or you know, and their mental health, and that's great. It's a great. I think um, you know sometimes the first place to start is to ask some of those questions. You know, I'm not sleeping well. Well, how long has this been going on? Have I sort of looked at some of these, um, you know, sleep hygiene techniques and, and I've put these in place, but, you know, I'm still having some troubles, you know, then, then that's a nice time to sort of reach out for, for some, some help. On the other side, healthcare professionals that might be listening, whether they're psychologists or physicians, we know that the sleep education that we get during our training um, isn't probably, you know, enough or, or kind of exactly what we need for, you know, all our patients and clients coming in, um, you know, so doing a little bit of extra training um, in your local area or sort of, you know, having, you know, seeing if there's some ways to upskill and learn a bit more about sleep can be so helpful for to patients. And I think when I have clients coming in, when they feel that, you know, someone understands their sleep, they've often been through many healthcare professionals that that might not have being too sure what to do about sleep, being able to have those conversations and referring on if you're not too sure, you know, so appreciated um, in, in helping them, you know, get that help. Um, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, looking up what's in your local area or doing some further training, um, you know, it's um, you know, a great thing that, that you can do if you've got the time and space for it. Yeah, yeah, great. So not only the audience, if you need help yourself, right, look mm -hmm. for the professional help, but for health care workers, you can get further trainings in the sleep field. Yeah, I think uh, this field really needs more and more people to learn it and to get familiar with it, to move it forward. Definitely. 
And I think, yeah, Society for Behavioural Sleep Medicine is a really great place for especially psychologists to link in. They've got some great resources and webinars and all these sorts of things. So if people are interested, it's a, my, my first port of call um, worldwide. <laughs> Here in Australia, we've got the Australian Sleep Association. Um, so, you know, in, in everyone's you know, countries, there's often some really great networks and professional organisations. Started. Great to know. I need a. I should list uh, the Australian one on my podcast website too. Oh, I have a resource page. Sometimes yeah. I get people from other countries asking me uh-huh. where are the local resources. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, well, we can definitely get those details to you because yeah, great organization and yeah, there's a lot of um, you know people sort of local resources. I think are super helpful. So yeah, that that would. <laughs> yeah, if there's any links you you want to share with me, I will put it online. That would be great. So if any our audience want to know more about your work, do you have a website? Do you have anything they can follow and find, read more about your research or your clinical yeah, work? Definitely. Well, well I'm, uh, you know, we, we sort of met on Twitter, so you can definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm at sleepsych underscore Oz for Australia. So um, you know, I can put my link there. But also I've got my website, um, which is hayleymeeklandpsychology.com.au. So um, feel free to, to reach out to me um, there as well. Great. I will put all the link on the show notes. So when people listen, they will be able to find your information. Uh, that, that will be great. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Hilly, for coming here and sharing all this wonderful expertise of yours. Uh, thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lovely chat. <laughs> so how is your sleep during the pandemic? Leave me a message. Let me know. If you need to improve your sleep or you're looking for insomnia treatment in Chinese, you can find my sleep course online at mindbodygarden.com slash course slash sleep or mindbodygarden.com slash course slash CBTI. I provide two online courses to help people sleep better. They are both in Chinese right now, and I will create more courses in English in the near future. Thank you for listening. Hope you sleep well and stay safe. I will see you in the next episode. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.